Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to spending this time with you. And if I was in your shoes, I'd be thinking, oh, great, another guest speaker. (laughs) But I want to share a message that's near and dear to my heart, and I trust it's going to be a message that will be applicable to every one of your lives. Before I open up... uh, with a teaching out of the book of Daniel, a very familiar story that I hope I can bring fresh and new application to. Would you please join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we meant those words we just sang. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who has taken up residence in us. Thank you for the promise of your word that for us who proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior, your Holy Spirit was a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance. We ask you now as we open up your inspired word that you would teach us and instruct us and rebuke us if necessary and correct us And in all of that, have your way with us, Lord. Speak to us individually and corporately as we dedicate this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Sawati Kap, that means hello. Kapkun Makap means thank you. Soy Sip means lane number 10. Nitnoi means a little bit. And then Ning, Song, Sam, Si, Ha, Hok, Jet, Bat, Gao, Sip. One through ten. Not a lot of vocabulary to use when talking with hospital personnel. Yet those were the only Thai words I knew when my wife Jody was rushed to a Bangkok hospital 25 years ago in excruciating pain. The only comfort the Thai doctor could give us uh, was that His hands were very small, so the incision wouldn't be very big. (laughs) Here we were serving in the International Church in Bangkok, Thailand. Interesting enough, many, many years after that, Pastor John was there as the senior pastor. And Jody was undergoing emergency surgery to have her gallbladder and appendix and a cyst removed. I know, too much information. None of the hospital personnel spoke any English. So here I was trying to find out how Jody was doing with the words, hello, thank you, lane number 10, a little bit, and the numbers 1 through 10. While Jody was in surgery, an elder from the church came over to the hospital, and I'll never forget what he told me. He said, Pastor Jeff, the entire congregation is watching how you handle this. And then he led us in a time of prayer, and he left. We prayed that God would be honored. Well, at the time, I had a son, Jordan, three and a half years old, so we sent him off to a missionary's home. And as soon as he got into their home, a dog, their dog named Scruffy, attacked him. It was a little dog, never bit anybody before. But for some reason, when Jordan walked in the room, it agitated him, and it ripped up Jordan's arm and ripped up the side of his face. Colin was our nine-month-old, and uh, he got what we call Bangkok belly. 
Bangkok belly was a term we put together for severe diarrhea, and in Asia, in a hot, humid climate, it's pretty serious. We had to give him to a family in the church. Beyond that, in the Christian Missionary Alliance at the time, when you work in an international church like that, the senior pastor would serve for a two-year term and then go home for three months. I was the associate pastor, so I was on that same uh, regiment. The senior pastor had just left for three months. And it was now up to me to do three months of preaching in an international church that was filled with people from the U.S. Embassy, other embassies, uh, international business vice presidents, all these high-ranking individuals, missionaries with PhDs. It was a very intimidating situation. And I was a youth pastor. I had probably preached four or five times, and I had this responsibility in front of me, and all of a sudden, Jody's in the hospital having surgery, and Jordan has his face and his arm ripped up, and I'm having to determine whether or not the dog had rabies, or at least a rabies vaccine, and then they said, yes, there was a rabies vaccine, and then it discovered that the vaccine for rabies in Thailand wasn't always real good, so we weren't sure, so we had to pray about what to do in that situation. You've probably found yourself in situations like that, haven't you? It would have been very easy for me to start questioning God's sovereignty, I mean, after all, here we were, missionaries in Bangkok, Thailand. We obediently separated ourselves from loved ones to go and serve God in a hot, humid, polluted, and at that time, very AIDS-infested city. Why have you allowed these trials into our lives, God? Are you really in control? Do you really care about us? I'm thankful that I didn't respond that way. In fact, the following week, or that week, I preached a message out of the book of Nehemiah and preached through Nehemiah for the rest of the summer. And a mini revival broke out in that church. And the only reason I'm telling you that is I'm going to come back to the story toward the end of my message. I learned something through that experience and now 25 years of additional Bible study that I want to share with you this morning. You see, when trials and hardships enter into our lives, the Bible teaches us over and over and over again that instead of asking, is God really in control, we're to trust him even when things don't make any sense to us. Even with what Pastor John's going through right now, and it doesn't make any sense to us. And I think I can underscore this teaching a little bit easier if you turn to Daniel chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to skim through the story. We're going to take it in pieces. And as you turn to Daniel chapter 3, you'll notice right here in verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar. I love people who name their kids after Bible characters. Do any of you know Nebuchadnezzar? Did anybody use that name? I've never heard of Nebuchadnezzar. But King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. What's going on here? Catch the scene. There is this idol, this huge idol. Imagine 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. That's about the height of a nine-story building. 
and here we have this huge idol. But follow the story because it takes on a very interesting twist. I'm going to be skimming through the next uh, dozen verses, but we see in verse 2 here that he, Nebuchadnezzar, he summoned the and then it lists all the leaders here at the time to come for a dedication that he had set up. So catch the scene. He's got this huge idol built, and he's got all of his officials now coming to this dedication of this idol. But beyond that, he wanted the people in the community to be coming as well. So we see here, as we go on in the story, down in verse 4, that a herald went out loudly proclaiming, this is what you are to do, O peoples. Men of every nation, every language, as soon as you hear, and then they list all these instruments, as soon as you hear all these instruments playing, you are to fall down and worship what King Nebuchadnezzar has put together. You see the twist there? He started it off as a dedication, and now all the people are being summoned to come and literally worship this huge idol that he put together. Well, as the story goes on, in verse 6, it says, whoever does not fall down and immediately worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Many of us are familiar with this story, aren't we? Therefore, as soon as the herald, all these instruments were being playing, were playing, and he's proclaiming what's going on, it says, men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So catch the scene. We have this eight or nine story idol, 90 feet tall, very, very wide. And it's not just a dedication service, but people are literally coming down and bowing before it and worshiping it. But there's another interesting twist in the story. It's almost like some Old Testament tattletales show up on the scene. Follow along if you have your Bibles when we get to verse 8 here we see that at this time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, may you live forever. That was a standard greeting to a man like that in that position during that time. He says, you've issued a decree, and they remind the king the decree about when all these instruments are played, everybody's to bow down and to worship this huge idol. But here is what they say. But there are some Jews, here's the tattletale going on here. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province. In other words, they worked for King Nebuchadnezzar. And the astrologers are coming and saying, there are some people who work for you, O king. They're not bowing down. There is no worship going on in their lives. There is no dedication going on in their hearts. It's just not happening. And we see here in verse 12 that as they lay that out and down to verse 13, how do you think this king reacted? Ah, oh, don't worry about it. Most of the people are coming out. It's no big deal. Not at all. It says in verse 13 that King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with rage. He was upset big time. Follow along verses 14 and 15. I'm going to highlight this quickly and then we're going to get into some application. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in front of him. And he's telling them, do not serve any other gods or worship the image of gold. Will you not do this? Will you not worship this? Will you not not bow down to it? Will you not be part of the dedication? And then he gives them a warning. As he goes on here, 
He says, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image, very good. Everything's cool. Everything's fine. You can go back out and continue working for me. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Catch the cynicism here. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Follow along now as Nebuchadnezzar is making his proclamation, is being a little cynical, like who could ever rescue you from my hand, and, and warning them, you don't do this, you're going into the blazing furnace. It's not even going to be a discussion anymore. And the key verses here are 17 and 18 because we see them say to this all-powerful king, remember who's furious with them, say this, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to serve us or save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hands. But even if he does not, O king, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing in front of this all-powerful king. And they are telling him that we will not bow down and we will not worship this idol. Furthermore, if God chooses to save us, he's able to do that. But if he chooses not to save us, that's okay too because his ways are always perfect. And almost in a cynical kind of way, they were saying to this all-powerful king, you see, O king, our lives are ultimately in God's hands. They're not in yours. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were determined to honor God no matter what. There was no way they were going to bow down and worship this huge idol and in so doing violate the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. There's two rules that I want to leave with you this morning. Rule number one. God is a sovereign and loving God. Rule number two, when things come into your life that you haven't planned, see rule number one. Twenty years ago, I was 39 years old at the time and not feeling 100%, so I did what most of us would do. Is I went in to see a doctor, had a physical, they did some blood work. This was on a Friday. And then the next morning, the very next morning, the nurse calls me. She said, we found something of great concern in your blood. The doctor wants to see you first thing Monday morning. I was wondering, wow, I wonder if I have AIDS. I remember going to a dentist in Thailand, and AIDS was very prevalent. Maybe the instruments weren't cleaned properly. Maybe I had cancer. Oddly enough, that Monday morning, I was supposed to do a funeral for somebody in the community. I had to find another pastor to do it. And you know how your mind wanders. I was thinking maybe my funeral is going to be next. I spent a lot of time that weekend in prayer, and I was determined to cling tightly to Daniel 3, 17 and 18. God is sovereign and will continue to be sovereign regardless of what the doctor tells me and regardless of what I need to go through. 
Well, I went in to see the doctor. My potassium was off the charts. So he asked me a question. He said, uh, do you ever eat bananas? I said, yeah, I love bananas. He said, about how many bananas would you say you eat in a month? Well, that was an easy question for him. I said, 90. I eat three bananas a day. I love bananas. I'll never forget what the doctor said to me. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, you are the first living creature with black, without black fur on its arms that I've ever heard eating 90 <laughs> bananas. I'm thinking, wow, Doc, you don't have to go ape on me about that, but. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they trusted God 100%. And what it meant for them personally in trusting God was not the predominant issue. Obviously, they're hoping that God would intervene, right? Wouldn't we all? Obviously, they were hoping that God would uh, not allow them to be pushed into the furnace, but their primary focus was to honor and trust God whatever came their way, no matter what. Follow my train of thought here. As trials and challenges come our way, what's the first thing you and I tend to pray? Lord, take it away, right? That's the first thing I find myself praying. Lord, take this away. You're sovereign. Just, just get rid of it. And while there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, it does create a problem for us if our only focus is on deliverance. In other words, if God intervenes, then we rejoice. But if God has other plans and chooses not to take it away, then we have a tendency to question his sovereignty at times, don't we? Is God really in control? Does God really care? Is God really trustworthy? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are teaching us that God is sovereign and we are to trust him regardless of the outcome. Well, we look here at verse 19. And if you're following along in your Bible, it says King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with rage. Well, we've seen him furious before, haven't we? Do you see a king that's rather full of himself and has a short fuse? He's furious with rage. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are really irritating him right now. And I don't know how they did this back then, but it says that the king had the furnace heated seven times hotter. How do you do that? How did they do that? Then we see in verse 20, he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army. They weren't guys built like me. They were these big bulky, strong soldiers that they had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had their hands tied. And I don't know if they were struggling or fighting. I would be. But they took these big guys and they carted them up to dump them off into the furnace. And it says that these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 21, were wearing their, their, their clothing. Pay attention to that. They were wearing their clothing. They're bound like this. And Scripture says that as they're going up, I don't know what the furnace looked like, but as they pushed them into the furnace, it was so hot that the guards, these big buxom guards who were carrying them up, are falling over dead because it's so intensely hot. 
and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are pushed in. Now we see something uh, kind of strange here because the account tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar is watching what's going on. I mean, how sick is that? And how is that set up? I don't know how it was designed, but he's sitting there watching Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and anybody else who goes into this furnace to get all burned up. It's like Old Testament television. And as he's doing that, we see down in verse 24 that King Nebuchadnezzar, as he's watching this, all of a sudden leaps to his feet in amazement. He can't believe what he's seen. And it says here to one of his attendants, he said, look, I see four men walking around in the furnace. Weren't there three? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's four men walking around in the furnace. And they're walking around unbound. They're no longer tied, unharmed. The fire's doing nothing to them. And he said, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Catch the scene. Nebuchadnezzar cannot believe what's going on. We don't know who that fourth figure was. Some people say maybe it was an angel. Others say, no, it was Jesus himself. Either either way, the point remains the same. As trials come your way and they come my way, we are not alone. God is there with us. Well, we see here now in verse 26 and 27, Nebuchadnezzar goes up to the opening of the furnace and he yells out, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come on out, come on out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are coming out. And as they're coming out to the fire, or out of the fire, their bodies are completely unharmed. There's no smell of smoke on their clothing, no, nothing on their head, their hair isn't singed. There's no evidence that they were even in there. It's an absolute miracle of what's going on right here. I don't know if any of you are campers. Uh, My family, we're a bunch of campers. We've taken our kids camping for years. And you don't have to sit around a campfire very long as the smoke seems to chase after you. And what happens? You can smell the smoke just like that. And I love roasting uh, hot dogs. And ladies, a lot of guys have hairy fingers. And when you place those hairy fingers near a fire, you know what happens? the hair on your fingers starts to singe and the smell of burnt hair, once you smell it, you'll never forget, forget the smell. It's a, it's a very, very strong smell. Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of that furnace and there was no smell of smoke on their clothing anywhere. Nothing was singed. Nothing was scorched. There wasn't even the smell of burnt hair from their fingers or from their head. As I said earlier, it was as if they had never even been in there. Can you imagine the talk around Babylon that night when all this took place? Can you imagine people saying, man, what kind of God is he? What kind of God influences a life like that? And then we see the most miraculous twist in this story 
as miraculous as what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the judgment of many is we see the king here in verse 28 said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you believe the turnaround in this king who built this eight or nine story idol for himself and is furious with anybody who won't bow down and worship it and ultimately worship him? All of a sudden saying, praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a remarkable turnaround. And it says here in God's word, Nebuchadnezzar says, who sent his angel to rescue them and defile the king's command. And then he goes on in verse 29 as if that's not enough. He made a decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, be cut into pieces and their house turned into piles of rubble. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got a promotion from the king. He promoted them. Can you believe this? This king worshiping the God of all creation, this king giving Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who he pushed into the furnace, a promotion, and then passing a decree. And I'm not saying I liked what he passed, but if you don't follow this God, we know who this God is, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going to be cut into pieces and your houses are going to be destroyed. It's an an absolute miraculous turnaround here in this story. When I first became a believer and I'm trying to understand God's word and I'm starting to read through Daniel 3, I would never have guessed halfway through the story that all this would have been the outcome at the very end. A remarkable turnaround in the story. Have you ever thought, have you ever thought that God may be trying to reach spiritually lost people in your life and in my life through the trials that we are going through? Because if we trust God and honor God in the middle of those, no matter what, people can't help but ask the question, man, what kind of God influences a life like that. What may be a trial in our life may actually be intended to be a trail in someone else's life that God wants to use to lead them to Christ. Think about that. What may be a trial in your life or my life might actually be a trail that God wants to use to bring a non-believer into a relationship with him. Thirteen years ago, Paige Ye, the wife of our Toledo Chinese Alliance pastor, died from lung cancer, leaving behind three little children. I was serving as what our denomination calls a district superintendent in Michigan during the time, so I was very close to this couple and this situation. Paige and her husband prayed for healing. We had prayed many times for Paige to be healed. But Paige wanted, above anything else, to honor and glorify God in this crisis. One hour before Paige died, her breathing became very labored, very difficult. Paige knew that she was near death. 
she could have shook her fist at God and said, why God, why? I've got three little children. Why are you allowing this to happen? She didn't do that. Paige was determined to honor and glorify God no matter what. Why? Because of two rules. Rule number one, God is a sovereign and loving God. Rule number two, when things don't go as you planned in your life, see rule number one. Paige motioned for her husband. She couldn't write anymore, so she dictated in her closing minutes a letter to her parents. Here's what she wrote. She thanked them for loving her. She thanked them for the good care she had growing up. She thanked them for all that they had done for her in so many other ways. Then she told them of God's great love for them. Neither one of them were believers. And how much she loved and honored God even with her lung cancer. Can you imagine writing that to your parents as you're dying, as your moments from dying? Telling your parents not only how much you love them, but how much you love and honor God even with your lung cancer. She pleaded with them to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. She pleaded with them to trust God and love God as much as she does. A short time later, Paige died. What a powerful testimony to her family, to her church, and really the entire Toledo community. You know, this area is no doubt filled with people just like Paige's parents. People who will spend all of eternity forever separated from God unless they embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. I plead with you on behalf of your spiritually lost family members and friends, neighbors, co-workers, enfold the lessons of Daniel 3 into your personal life. Be consumed with honoring God in the middle of trials, no matter what. Remember that God will always be with you. And be mindful that God desires to use your trials to spiritually influence other people. I heard a Christian leader say one time, people come to know God through Christ but they come to Christ through us. You know, I've been thinking about that for years. That is so true. Well, I've had the good fortune to go back to Thailand. I was, I've probably been back 10 times. But I remember one particular time back. It was five years ago. I was at the Evangelical Church in Bangkok. There's now 1,000 people worshiping there. Uh, very few people that were there when I was there. International churches turn over. Typically about 70% of them turn over every uh, two to three years because people come in on international contracts and then they leave. But when I was there that Sunday after a worship service, I had a man come up to me and he paid me the highest compliment I've ever received in ministry. He looked at me and then he kind of looked again he said, are you Jeff Brown? I said, I am. 
He said, I still remember your sermon series through the book of Nehemiah in 1991. I was not a believer at the time, but I came to know Christ through your preaching. I thought, wow. What if I would have chosen to shake a fist at God during that time? What if I would have been torqued off at him? What if I would have challenged his sovereignty? What if I would have walked around pouting and very agitated? What if I would have been so ticked off at God for ripping open Jordan's arm and Jordan's face and Colin getting Bangkok belly and Jody having major surgery all at the same time? What if I would have said, God, you remember that first sermon? I'm in Jody's hospital room and I have my notes and my Bible references spread all over the place and I'm trying to work on the sermon in the middle of all this? What if I just shook a fist at God and said, I don't know if it's worth it anymore. I don't know if your word is true. I would have turned everything God wanted to accomplish in this man's life upside down. You see, God taught me a very important lesson. God used my trial to be this man's trail a trail that God used to bring him into a personal relationship with Christ. As you and I journey through the trials and joys of life, I want to leave with you two rules. Rule number one, God is a sovereign and loving God. Rule number two, when things come into your life or my life, that we don't understand, see rule number one. 28 months ago, three Americans were killed at a private hospital in Kabul, Afghanistan. The shooting took place at the Kier International Hospital, which specializes in the treatment of disabled children and women's health issues. Among the dead was a Christian pediatrician from Chicago named Dr. Jerry Humanis. He volunteered at the Keir Hospital for almost nine years. His wife said her husband had a desire to be the hands and feet of Christ. She said he had a love and a commitment for the Afghan people because of his love for Christ. Well, after terrorists went into the hospital and killed the doctor, point blank, a couple days later, a news reporter came up to his wife and said, how do you feel about the person that did that or persons that did that to your husband? Right off the top of her head, without even a pause, she said, I have no hatred toward them. And my heart is filled with forgiveness for the person or persons who did that. Eleven months ago in Menasha, a family was out strolling along the Trestle Trail Bridge in Menasha, and a random shooter just came in and pulled the trigger on them. Thirty-two-year-old mother of three was shot three times. She managed to get her two youngest children off the bridge after her husband, 33-year-old Jonathan, and oldest daughter, 11-year-old Olivia, were shot and killed. She's got a tube in her throat. She can't talk. She asked for an eraser board, a marker. 
And here's what she wrote in quotation marks, last words. And then she wrote out this, John said, forgive the shooter. The very last words her husband said to her before he died there on the trail is he looked up at his wife and said, forgive the shooter. What kind of God influences a life like that? It's the kind of God who we worship this morning and who we sang our praises to. Almighty God, forever eternal God, the God who sent Jesus to come as we celebrated last week to come and die on the cross. An ugly death to pay the penalty for all of your sins and all of my sins, for all of the sins who everybody has embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior. What kind of God influences a life like that? The God of love, the God of all creation, the God who not only paid the penalty through the blood of Jesus on the cross for all of us, but as we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, as it tells us in Ephesians, literally gave us his Holy Spirit as a down payment, guaranteeing our inheritance. Brothers and sisters, we bump into things in life that are tough at times. I want to encourage you to trust Jesus through every one of them and recognize that what oftentimes is a trial for us if we respond appropriately, God uses as a trail for someone else to come to know him as Lord and Savior when they look at our lives and say, what kind of God influences a life like that? For our benediction, I would like to have you listen to a song. The song is entitled, Let Them See You. Let them see you and me. After the song, the uh, service is concluded. Take away the melody. Take away the songs I sing. 